There was someone in the news this week who was worried that her name was about to die out. Uh, she was called Stacy, uh, so apparently there, there must not be many babies being called Stacy these days. Uh, and another name that that has almost certainly died out is the name Ebenezer. Uh, I wonder, uh, boys and girls, do you know anybody called Ebenezer? Uh, Charles Dickens has largely ruined the name for most people with his creation of Ebenezer Scrooge. A Scrooge is a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. And that's who most people think of when they hear the name Ebenezer. I know someone who's involved in a new Presbyterian church plant down in Luton. And they, uh, the new church bought over an old building uh, that had closed known as Ebenezer Chapel. Uh, the name Ebenezer is a common enough name for churches, or at least it used to be. Uh, there's an Ebenezer church in Airdrie. Uh, Martin Luther King was co-pastor of a church called Ebenezer Baptist. That's where his funeral took place. But when this church in England bought the old Ebenezer Chapel, a number of people encouraged them to change the name, uh, to change it because of that association with Scrooge. But they didn't change it. Uh, For one thing, the name Ebenezer was cut into the stone on the front of the building. Uh, But secondly, they just liked the name uh, because it means stone of helping. It's a name which speaks of God's grace. It's the name which speaks about the fact that God can help us when we are beyond human help. Uh, The name appears in the Bible here in 1 Samuel 7. In verse 12, Samuel sets up a stone, calls it Ebenezer and says, Till now the Lord has helped us. It's a very fitting text for us as we stand just a few hours from the end of one year and the beginning of another. Till now the Lord has helped us. It's a text which encourages us to look back with thankfulness and to look forward with hope. And is that not what we need Because the natural bent of many of us may be to look back with little thankfulness and to look forward with much apprehension. But what an encouragement we have here to look back with thankfulness and look forward with confidence. So firstly, tonight, looking back with thankfulness. Looking back with thankfulness. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ... Is our text tonight not your testimony? Till now the Lord has helped me. We often sing in Psalm 23 as we've just done about God's goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives. Some of us can say that as we look back at a lifetime of following Jesus Uh, We can say, till now the Lord has helped me. We we can say that his goodness and mercy have followed us. Others can say that even though uh, you've only been following Jesus for a short time, but but you can look back at all those years that he preserved you uh, and kept you until you could hear the gospel and believe it. There might be the odd moment where everything is weighing heavily on us, 
and the darkness is closing in and, and we feel like we could struggle to say, till now the Lord has helped us. But in general, I think it would be the testimony of every believer. And yet that doesn't always translate into us walking around with a thankful disposition. If someone asked us how we got through a particular situation or how we had got through our lives up to this point, we might well say, well, the Lord helped me get through it. That's all I can say. And that's, that would be great. That would be true. But, but saying that in those moments is one thing. And actually living a life of gratitude is another. But, but surely that shouldn't be the case. Uh, surely it should be the, 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 daily, uh, the daily testimony of our hearts uh, that until now the Lord has helped us. Uh, one of our biggest temptations is to look at the things that others have but we don't and be left feeling that we are missing out on something. Uh, the Bible calls that coveting. What is coveting, boys and girls? It's being dissatisfied, unhappy, sad about what God has given us and wishing that we had what God had given others instead. And we rob ourselves of the joy of contentment. So how can we fight against this temptation to covet, to, to dissatisfaction, to discontent? Well, the first thing to do is realise what coveting is. And that is, it's a refusal to recognise God as God. Coveting is a refusal to recognise God as God. God's word tells us that he is good and wise and generous. But when we covet, our hearts repeat the devil's lie that God is stingy, unloving and disinterested. When we're tempted to envy someone else's situation in life, we're saying that if God was actually good and wise and generous, he would give us what he has given to them. <coughs> Coveting refuses to be content with what God has given to us. And so it is evil, it is ugly, it is dangerous. So how can we fight against it? Well, here are our three steps. Uh, and the first is to believe uh, to believe that God uh, really is who he says he is. That he really is wise and generous and good. That unlike Ebenezer Scrooge, he's not miserly. That he will withhold no good thing from you. So believe that God is who he says he is. Uh, the second step in fighting uh, coveting is to identify what it is that's causing you discontent. How would you fill in the blank? If only I could have blank, I'd be happy. Oh. I even if you wouldn't come out and say it like that, but, but what is that one thing that you feel deep down? And maybe others in the church have it, and, uh, or, or others you know have it, and you think, if only I had that one thing... I'd be happy. So identify what it is that's causing you discontent. Bring it out into the light and confess it. 
The third step is to list your blessings and give thanks to God for them. Have you heard the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Uh, We talk about counting our blessings. Have you ever taken time specifically to to do that? Uh, The the end of of one year and the beginning of another is a good opportunity uh, to do that. Uh, That was something I was reading a book um, around this time last year, that was something the author encouraged uh, encouraged those reading to do, and, and I did it. I'd forgotten I did it, but I came across it recently. Um, and so, uh, it, it can be helpful to, to actually write down your blessings, and, and and then you can look at them and say, "Till now, the Lord ha- has helped us." N- not just to say that in general, but but specific ways that He has helped you. Uh, so I, I can't tell you that you must go away and write down some of your blessings, but, but it's something I would encourage. We live in, in a country where there's a sense of entitlement in the air, uh, where people are being so used to handed things that they demand more and more and they expect more and more. Uh, and it's not attractive, is it, to see people who have a sense of entitlement But it could it be that we're living with more of a sense of entitlement than we might realise. Because surely only that could explain our lack of thankfulness. Jesus says, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Everything we have is a stunning blessing from God that we do not deserve. Everything we have is purely because of God's grace. The one thing we are entitled to by rights is punishment. And indeed as we look back on God's faithfulness, do we not also see our own unfaithfulness? Verse 3 of our chapter tells us that this Ebenezer stone is set up at a time when the people were returning to the Lord. For 20 years, two decades prior to this, The people of Israel had been thinking about the Lord. They'd been lamenting after him, as verse 2 tells us. Uh, 20 years ago, the Ark of the Covenant had returned to Israel, but it remained at Kiriath-Jerim. What's significant about Kiriath-Jerim? Well, mainly where it is. It was at the very edge of the territory. It was on the border with the Philistines. And the fact that the ark was there symbolized, uh, it symbolized where the Lord was in Israel's thinking. He, he wasn't at the center. He, he was still on the fringes. And yet as much as they, they lamented the state of things, verse 3 tells us that they still had foreign gods among them. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's possible in verse 2 to, to lament about the state of things, lament about the state of the nation, and still in verse 3 have, have foreign gods in your own house. Uh, and so Samuel has to tell them to direct their hearts to the Lord and serve him only. So they have been half-hearted in the service of the Lord. In verse 6, they acknowledge themselves, we have sinned against the Lord. 
So when Samuel will, will uh, a short time later say, Till now the Lord has helped us. It certainly wasn't that the Lord had helped a, a sinless people, a, a deserving people. But he had helped them in spite of their sin and failure. They had been faithless, but he had remained faithful. And as we look back on our time as Christians, however long or short that may have been, can we not also see evidence of our own half-heartedness at times? Of our saying perhaps that we want God to be at the centre, but acting in ways that are contrary to that. And yet he has been patient with us. He has forgiven us when we've confessed our sins. We have been faithless at times, but he has always been faithful. Even despite our sin, we can say, till now has the Lord helped us. So firstly, tonight, looking back with thankfulness. But then secondly, looking forward with confidence. Looking back with thankfulness, looking forward with confidence. Boys and girls, what are you excited about for 2024? Is it your uh, next birthday? Is it being another year older? Is it being able to do something that you, you haven't been allowed to do up till now because you've been too young? Is it the summer holidays? Well, as people get older, they don't tend to look forward to a new year the way that you might Maybe they do if the year that has just ended has been particularly bad. Uh, there were plenty of people who were happy to say goodbye to 2020. But at the same time, the mere changing of a date won't change our circumstances. And so there, there may be things in 2024 that some of us are dreading. Uh, perhaps specific things. Perhaps it's just another year older and an awareness that there are things that you aren't able to do anymore. But our text encourages us not simply to look back with thankfulness, but to look forward with confidence. Why? Because what's it saying? Or, or, or what's it not saying? Because surely it's not saying, till now the Lord has helped us. But he isn't going to help us anymore. Till now the Lord has helped us. But his help has an expiry date. Not at all. The fact that God has helped us in the past. Is the thing that gives us confidence that he'll help us in the future. That's a confidence that we can have as individuals. And it's a confidence we can have as a church. The verse doesn't actually say, till now the Lord has helped me, but till now the Lord has helped us. It's the people of God as a whole uh, that Samuel has in view that he is speaking on behalf of. Perhaps one of the, your concerns as we enter 2024 is what will happen to, to the church, either the congregation here, uh, your home congregation for those who are visiting, or, or the Church of Christ in general. And if that is one of your concerns as you enter a new year, that is a, a good thing. Uh, many professing Christians pour their energies, hopes and prayers into other things, into temporary things, into things that concern only them or their families. Uh, and they have no such concern for the church of Jesus Christ. Things in the church can be, can be up or down and, and 
it, it totally doesn't affect them in any way. So to be concerned about the state of the church is a good thing. But it can become an unhealthy thing when we fail to take Jesus seriously when he says, I will build my church. And when we end up thinking it all depends on us. Or we simply become convinced that the future is looking grim. But we not simply as individuals but as a church can stand at the end of this year and say till now the Lord has helped us. Uh, Whether we think back to uh, long, long ago the days of of the Covenanters and and kings trying to, to wipe them out. Or whether we think over the long history of this congregation specifically. Till now the Lord has helped us. For some of us, our our memory in this congregation goes back a longer time than others. But even in my short time here, God has provided in so many different ways. He's given us people, he's given us resources, answered prayers, gospel opportunities, conversions, fellowship with other believers, uh, people coming to give us practical help with the building, go teams, mission teams coming to help us in our evangelism. And again, just as, as with us as individuals, the temptation is to focus on what we don't have uh, rather than what we do have. But that would be a temptation no matter uh, how much we had. There would always be the temptation to think, well, we just need this one more thing. But we can say tonight, till now the Lord has helped us. He may not have given us everything we've wanted But he has given us everything we've needed. Even when it's been hard to see where that help would come from. And are we going to worry about the future just because we may not be able to see at this moment where what we need for future years will come from. Till now the Lord has helped us. And that help doesn't come with an expiry date. So often we assess our strength or weakness by what we can see. But let's remember what we can't see. So what unseen help do we have? Well, what help did the Israelites have in this chapter? What did they know they needed above everything else? Well, look at verse 8. In verse 8, they knew they needed Samuel to pray for them. In verse 7, the Philistines have heard that the people of Israel have gathered together. Israel have actually gathered together as an act of national repentance. But the Philistines have no concept of what that is. They assume that if people are gathering together, they must be getting ready for war. Uh, And and so they come up for a battle. Uh, When the people of Israel hear about it, they're, they're afraid, they're terrified. The Philistines are marching towards them. What are they going to do? And in their moment of need, they turn not to human solutions, but to God. Verse 8, the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And then in verse 10, what is it that wins the battle? It's the Lord thundering with a mighty shout, throwing the Philistines into confusion. 
And so when Samuel afterwards sets up the stone and says, Till now the Lord has helped us, that help has come in answer to prayer. Uh, And specifically it's come in answer to the prayers of God's priest. Samuel is both a prophet and a priest. And as such he points us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ who is prophet, priest and king. And so we can look forward with confidence because God's true and better priest, Jesus Christ, is and will be praying for us. It's easy to count what we have in terms of resources. We have this amount of people. We have this amount of money. But do we factor in that the Son of God himself is praying for us? That he's speaking to his Father on our behalf? Have you ever noticed that that bit at the end of Psalm 72? It's a line, it's in our Bibles, it's not in our psalm books. uh, But it says the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Will the prayers of the true and better David, the Lord Jesus Christ, never come to an end? Because as Hebrews tells us, he always lives to make intercession for us. It's interesting as well that when the people ask Samuel not to cease to pray for them, what does he do? Verse 9, he sacrifices a lamb. And as he goes to get the lamb, I wonder where some of the people thinking, look Samuel, the Philistines are coming, there's no need for all that, just pray, would you? But by doing this, Samuel is teaching the people an important lesson. He's teaching them that God can only be approached through sacrifice. The blood must be shed in order for us to come near him. Boys and girls, have you ever wondered why we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers? It's because that's the only way we can hope that God will hear us. We can't come to him in our name. We we can't say, uh, and we pray these things because we have been such good people that, that, that you should listen to us. No, we pray in Jesus' name because he lived uh, that perfect life that we haven't lived and he died in our place. Uh, and, And this is pictured for us here. Before Samuel prays, a sacrifice has to be made. He he prays in the name of Jesus, as it were, through the blood that has been shed. And in light of that sacrifice, God hears and answers. And even then, of course, the Old Testament sacrifices, uh, Hebrews tells us, they could never take away sin. So God hears and answers based not on this lamb, but based on the fact that this lamb pointed forward to the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. After the battle then, Samuel sets up the stone. He calls it Ebenezer. It would serve as a reminder of God's help in the past, And as an encouragement that he would not desert them in the future. Uh, Today we don't have a stone to look back to. But we do have the cross. Uh, Like Israel we too can look back to a battle. But not a battle against flesh and blood. A battle against the powers of darkness. Fought on our behalf and won by someone fighting in our place. Like Israel we too have a monument but it's not a stone It's a cross. And indeed when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper as as we will do again next month, God willing. 
the words on most communion tables say, do this in remembrance of me. But they could just as easily say, till now the Lord has helped us. Reminding us that the cross stands at the centre of history. And so we can look forward. We can look back rather with thankfulness and look forward with hope. Do you feel waves of uncertainty washing over you as you face the future? Whether that's just next week or the the great unknowns of 2024. Let these words reassure you. Till now the Lord has helped us. And he will continue to help you in all the days that lie ahead. Amen. Well, as we uh, finish the year, uh, let's turn to the, the very end of our psalm books. Uh, the, the book of Psalms ends with a great crescendo of praise. The closing psalms are all psalms of praise. And uh, it climaxes with Psalm 150. Uh, and we sing the B version, page 366. Praise the Lord to God your praises in his sanctuary rays and within his mighty heavens. Unto him, O give your praise. Uh, we have the various instruments listed in verses 3 and 4. Perhaps if someone comes in, uh, they might say, well, where are these instruments? Uh, but we could say the same thing about First uh, Samuel 7. Where is the sacrificial lamb? Uh, the final sacrifice has been shed. Uh, that sacrifice accompanied by the instruments. These instruments are silent and replaced uh, solely by, by the instrument of the, the human tongue uh, praising God. And, and the picture here is of, of all the earth, everything that is breath praising God. So Psalm 150b, tune Uh, Well, page 366, uh, if you're able, we'll stand as we sing praise.